WABC. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. That's a new intro. There's a man who leads a life of danger. <laughs> to everyone he meets, he stays a stranger. The change in our intro music, folks, is because <laughs> I have been outed as a confidential secret advisor to Donald Trump, which I was during the 2020 campaign. Um, I've, I've known President Trump since I was a child, <laughs> so um, and uh, my father was his lawyer. And during the whole campaign, I was speaking to him every day, oddly not meeting with him because of COVID and all of those issues. But, uh, but we were in touch constantly, and I was advising heavily. And but both of us decided to keep my name out of it. Um, First of all, we didn't want to drive the staff crazy to get into some kind of civil war uh, within the campaign. Uh, secondly, my baggage was heavy enough, and to add it to his <laughs> would be an, an insuperable burden. And <laughs> I most love of the all, screech. I love the screech. Yeah, and most of all, I told him when I signed on, I said, look, I've been through this mill before, and I have no desire to go through it again. Let me just uh, advise you, and you go do your thing. So um, – now I've written a book called The Return, uh, Trump's Big Comeback Win in 2024, uh, which says that Trump is going to be the candidate. Trump should be the candidate. There's nobody else who can do it. He's going to run. He's going to win. He's going to go in the nomination. And as surely as he was the 45th president, he's going to be the 47th president of the United States. Uh, he, he'll get both numbers. Whether he'll have to get a new bar on 56th Street and rename the bar that's now named 45 and have one next door named 47. <laughs> 45 is, slash 47. Well, it might have to be two separate bars. You don't want to add the two numbers together. It would be like I don't know if 90. they'll let you do it. This is more a real estate decision than a political one. Well, he doesn't mind that. Yeah. My sidekick today is Doug DePiro. Hi, Dick. How you um, doing? Doug is a renaissance man. Uh-oh. Uh, he's a super genius, he says. <laughs> but like Wildy and, Coyote. Yeah, I, I kind of believe it. Yeah. Um, he builds and restores classic cars and motorcycles. Cool stuff. Uh, he paints wall murals for the rich and famous and for me. Well, you're rich and famous, um, aren't you? I'm Richard. <laughs> <laughs> he does He does photorealistic portraits uh, of women, both clothed and naked. Ooh-wee. Children, horses, and most of all, dogs. Puppy dogs. Uh, but more than that, he is my irreplaceable and irrepressible <laughs> friend. <laughs> what, is, so, what, what about the West Side? Whatever. Yeah, Yonkers? well, we're a fusion. You... He's Yonkers. I'm West End Avenue. No, I'm Yonkers. Together right. we make it work. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, so New York City is in an uproar, justifiably, because we are finally witnessing the opposite of the way the left handles criminal justice. The left always looks for a martyr. George Floyd, uh, Louima, back in the 80s, uh, somebody who's been horribly, miserably, terribly mistreated by the police. 
but usually as a criminal record, and usually there's been some justification for it. Now the tables are completely turned, and a bodega clerk, it wasn't even an owner, he works there as a clerk, has been named Jose Alba, has been indicted for second-degree murder for killing someone who tried to rob him, a guy named Austin Simon. And my message for District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who is prosecuting this, and believe it or not, is going to take this to trial, is best articulated by my his advocate, Billy Joel. Because I am an You know, Dick, I don't, I don't know a lot about this, but, but did the guy come in with a gun to rob? No, not a gun. It was a, uh, oh, no, it's an, uh. This Austin Simon guy. Yeah, he did. Right. And with a gun, and, uh, he was stabbed with a knife, uh, by the bodega owner, uh, by the bodega employee. But he came, what happened was his girlfriend went in to, um, buy some chips. Uh, I'm not sure if it's girlfriend or daughter. I forget which. Yeah, yeah. But uh, she wanted it on food stamps and stuff, and there wasn't or some kind of charge, and there wasn't enough in her account, so the guy wouldn't sell it to her. And Simon got outraged, came behind the counter, and uh, and was robbing him, robbing the bodega owner at gunpoint, and uh, he stabbed him in self-defense, and that's the those are the facts, and he's being indicted for second-degree murder. Uh, he was released on, there was $250,000 bail, then they lowered it to 50000 and he's now released. But um, this is... You're not allowed to take care of yourself and yeah, this is yourself? This is just the kind of thing that sets the left off, and it's about time it happened in a way that sets the right off. Um, this really hasn't happened since... Bernie Getz, yeah, right. who, if you go back in your memory in the sum, to the subway. 70s, uh-huh. who was the subway um, killer right. who stabbed a whole bunch of people who were, um, in, I forget, he shot they were, them. they were bothering him every time he went on this train. I, I forget what he did. Shot yeah. them, I think. Yeah, like three. Yeah, three and, uh, right, and, and, the, and he was indicted, tried, I forget the outcome. But this is the first time there's been an outrage coming from the le- against what the left is doing in the way they're treating criminals and the way they're treating victims. And uh, it, this could cause gigantic and major repercussions. We all look at what's been going on with George, the, with George Floyd, the victim of a murder in mm-hmm. Minneapolis. Everybody's just, everybody's celebrating him. There are streets being named after him. Right. Uh, doubtless kids are being brought into the world named after him. And this guy is a, is a hero. Now. Yeah, yeah. Never mind that he was passing counterfeit money. Never mind that he had uh, a, an arrest record uh, of several arrests. He wanted to shoot his pregnant girlfriend was in, that in the, the stomach. Yeah, I think that's so. Right. I, I, think so. I, I think that was the same case. And, and, but he's still a hero. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I want to see some streets named after Jose Alba. Yeah, right. Uh, I want to hear, want to have some people celebrating him. I want to hear proposals to give him 
a national holiday on his birthday. Oh, you'll never hear that. Like George Floyd uh, has been agitating. Has been agitating for that uh, because I want you, a statue so I can tear it down of George Floyd. Yeah, right. When you when you celebrate one some of these episodes, some of these incidents, and they become a cause celeb for the left or the right, they really can change public opinion. And it's about time that there was focus on the victims of crime and the importance of fighting back. Now, thank God Alba didn't have a gun, because if he did, the left would be screaming about gun control. And they can't really scream about knife control, otherwise every restaurant owner and butcher How's he would... going to cut a piece of ham? <laughs> yeah, would have to uh, object. <coughs> but... But really, the point is that we now have a case history of this, and I think it's terribly important that we do that uh, and that we investigate this and that we focus on it. The key element here, of course, is Alvin Bragg, who was elected district attorney essentially to defend criminals. And we're in an adversarial system of justice in the U.S. where you have the prosecutor and you have the defendants. And, uh, and, and the, and they fight each other and the truth comes out. Uh, and in this system, if you don't prosecute, you won't get justice. And essentially Bragg has made it so there are two defense attorneys on every case, the court appointed lawyer and the elected district attorney, so that there can't be justice. I'm anxious to hear what Judith, my friend in Brooklyn, has to say about this. How are you guys? I'm Good afternoon, gentlemen. Well, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm good. I'm listening to your number one. I don't think there was a gun involved. I don't know where you heard that. Okay. This guy that went across the counter, he was beating him up. The guy, guy's like in his 30s, and this Mr. Alba's 61. Yeah. And he was building up. He was beating up terribly, and he's got all kinds of, um, what is it called? He's been a criminal and whatever. So I think this uh, Mr. Alba felt like, you know, if he doesn't do something, uh, he's going to be he's going to be killed yeah. by this man. I, but I, let apolo- me, let me I apologize say- for saying the gun. I'm, I was wrong. Uh, but uh, and you're right. And thank you for correcting me. Go uh, ahead. Yeah, that's OK, Dick. But you know what? I'm just wondering, didn't Dick, didn't Alba, didn't he get the, the memo from Alvin Bragg saying that people can come in and steal up to nine hundred forty nine dollars? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't you get that memo? Oh, he he lost the law. Oh, it got lost. Yeah. The dog ate it. Yeah. Let me tell you, this the Bar Association should absolutely take away Alvin Bragg's law license law license because he clearly protects criminals. Clearly. Yep. Not absolutely. in New York. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we're seeing such a graphic example of that. But um again, because I'm in politics, not law enforcement, uh, the perspective I have on this is this is a transformative event. Uh, like the Floyd shooting was. This is something that will completely change the dialogue and the rhetoric and the focus on crime. In what direction? In our direction? In, in a good direction. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Uh, because because it's an episode in which the outrage was by the district attorney, uh, not by the criminal, and not by the not by the shooter, not by the shot guy. <laughs> he was shot or stabbed in this case. But but on the the district attorney who prosecuted him, so this is really not about stealing a bag of chips. It's not about defending yourself when someone's threatening you. 
what it is about is a district attorney overreaching, prosecuting, and going after an innocent man uh, simply for defending himself. And the villain here is not uh, the deceased uh, Austin Simon, nor the uh, nor the killer Jose Alba. The villain here is the district attorney and Alvin Bragg. And the idea of watching the Soros-funded district attorneys completely turn the tables, and it's as if they defect from the prosecution and move over to the defense table. I wonder uh, if they have family that walks through the city and they have to worry about that. Yeah. What right. do these people, where do they live? What do they do? God knows where they live. Right. And what they do is they get paid to defend criminals, but not as they legal aid lawyers, but it's the opposite. Unbelievable. All that and a bag of chips. Let's go to Tom from New Jersey. Hey, Tom. Pleasure to Dick, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I listen every time you're on, and okay. I watch you on TV. Thank you. And uh, I like your calm. Increasingly, uh, your that's wedding. becoming a full-time job. <laughs> well, <laughs> Dick, we're both too old for that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, with regard to Mr. Alba, you, you, you put your thumb right on the problem. It's with Alvin Bragg. Right. The, uh, the, uh, he has completely desensitized Manhattan from violence by not taking action. Uh, these people that do these things are identifiable, and they're identifiable at an early age, as certainly Mr. Simon was. Mr. Simon got what was coming to him. The The thing that amazed me was that Mr. Alba, at, at the age of 68, a guy that came here legally, uh, set down his, his work and went in and every day, he was demonized by Mr. Bragg. So with the George Floyd statues, uh, I hope that the, um, the DR community, yeah. the Hispanic community, right. puts together some statues for him before the, before the protests by uh, Reverend Sharpton oh, God. occurred in yeah. a career. But let me throw one more thing in there. Uh, that everybody seems to forget the Buffalo shooting. Yeah. Where are the Aaron Salter statues, the retired yeah. cop right. that took this armed guy on to to protect life? Yeah. Where is the outcry exactly. to 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 memorialize him? I don't see it. Do you? Doesn't fit the Tom, narrative. Your call is so timely yeah. and so good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. It doesn't fit the narrative. That's that's it. When we come back, I'm going to talk about another mugger, shooter, killer, overreacher named Lisa Murkowski, who happens to serve as a U.S. senator in Alaska. Trump unloaded on her last night. Now it's my turn. That's great. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. I love this. <laughs> Doesn't get old. <laughs> There's a man who leads a life of danger. Yeah, you. Danger. And if you don't think being an advisor to the president is a danger, <laughs> you haven't met the senators, you haven't met and Chafee, uh, you haven't met Cheney, you haven't met uh, the 9-11 committee or the 9 January 6th, January 6th Committee, uh, Life of Danger in Washington, D.C. You got that right. Um, 
Alan Yonkers. We're taking you in Yonkers because Doug is from Yonkers. Yonkers. And when he sees Yonkers on the screen, he flips out. Not so really. how are you, Al? Not really. Hey, Al. Good. Nice to speak to you guys. Thank you for taking my call. I always enjoy your program. It's really Thank excellent. You. They should add you another hour. Okay. You yeah, know, my, my thing I wanted to say is that Alba, the uh, person who killed that perp in the bodega, I'm sure in reality he can never go back to that store. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he's a marked man because that person will have friends, and the way he died uh, with the artery uh, wound, uh, he bled out. So my thing is I just want to say in, you know, we have to be realistic uh, he can never go back there because I'm sure he's a marked man, mm. unfortunately, because uh, there, there's going to be a, a revenge factor there. Well, you know, and with been, Eric Adams, if, you know, Al, if he had been the uh, perp instead of defending himself uh, in the identical situation, he wouldn't have to worry about going back to well, the he bodega. The he would be on The View. No, yeah. He would be on uh, all of the left wing media. Uh, he would damn near have a Nobel Prize. Oh, sure. So, um, it's, but your point is, I think, very, very well taken. Paula has a point in New Jersey. Yes, hi. I love your show. You. Uh, I wish to denounce that um, mother who uh, wanted to, in front of her child, made a huge mess in front of her child ripping off the uh, the counters because she did not have enough money to pay for a piece of uh, junk food. Yeah. It has, have you ever, there are millions of mothers who encounter this every day with their little child, that the child wants a little bit of candy just on the way out and the mother uh, uh, sees that the child has put that piece of candy in their pocket and they take that child and they say, no, you cannot have it. That would be stealing. And sometimes they find that candy in the, in the uh, car and they take that child by the collar, bring it right back to the store and have that child in front of the clerk, give it back and use that as a lesson, never right. to do that again. Proper Meanwhile, parenting. we have this in front of our faces that this woman has not been been, been denounced by any religious community, by any uh, people of of her uh, own yeah. community as a poor role model, and that mm-hmm. this is Paula. That, that's such hard. a good. That's such a good point. Such an interesting one, and so important to get that perspective. And now, she was the mother of who? Who was who, who this? The mother of? A, a kid that was in the store that wanted the candy. Okay. Yeah. So um, let me talk to you about Lisa Murkowski. Um, she uh, is running for re-election in the Republican primary on, I think it's August 17th in Alaska. And uh, Trump is livid about her. Trump did the whole rally last night. Attacking her. That's great. And, uh, and trying to get her opponent elected. But the history of Lisa Murkowski is unbelievable. It is incredible. This woman was a delegate to the state house in Alaska, which means the district was submicroscopic. You know, look at your square block. You have more people on it than they do in a precinct than a district in Alaska. 
but her father was the U.S. senator. Then her father decided to resign his Senate seat and run for governor. But he kept state in the Senate while he was running for governor, got elected governor, and then resigned his Senate seat. And his first act as governor was to appoint his daughter, Lisa, to his seat in the U.S. Senate. And Alaska exploded in outrage. They were furious at that. He ran, he vacated the seat so he could pass it to his daughter. He ran for governor so he could appoint his daughter. And he went to a whole campaign for governor and never told Alaska what his intentions were. Mm. A year or two after the fact, the Alaska voters amended their constitution to prohibit that from happening, to take the power to appoint your relative away from the governor. But uh, it was clear that they were furious about it. So they kept their powder dry. They bided their time. They didn't do demonstrations or anything. And then the and then Lisa had to run for reelection. When she did, uh, the even though she was a Republican, the Tea Party, the conservatives, challenged her in the, in the campaign, and they mounted a campaign for a pretty good guy named Joe Miller. They had the primary, and Murkowski lost the primary. The Republicans turned on her because she was so obviously fraudulently in office. She then decided to run as an independent, and the way she could do that was because she had all the support from all the people that wanted favors from her father, who was serving as governor. Ah, sounds very The teachers' Hillary. union gave her lots of money. The public employee unions funded her campaign. Everybody lined up to get favor with the governor by helping his daughter steal a Senate seat. And uh, and and the uh, and in this case funded her campaign and made it possible. Okay, they have an election day and the election is tied, and they are they may be familiar to you. There are there are paper ballots that are unsigned. There are voters that voted that were not registered. There was no photo ID. There's mail-in ballots that are contested, and and she clearly and and the whole thing is contested. And for a week, there's no nominee. There's no candidate who's elected. Then the court intervenes, and a judge gives the election to Lisa. And the judge was appointed a few years earlier by Lisa's father, (laughs) who is still the sitting governor, and can control whether he gets promoted or not in the state court system. And that's how Lisa Murkowski got elected. Wow. It's almost like so when she disregards and disses President Trump's justifiable outrage about stealing elections and about uh, the courts being biased and all of that, she speaks from experience yeah. because she's was caught red-handed herself. So Now, the, there is an entire change coming in the electoral system in the United States. You know, Brown versus Board of Ed, obviously, you know, Roe v. Wade, you know, all these great cases. Well, there's a new one for you to know about, Moore versus Harper, that is now before the U.S. Supreme Court. This will change everything. It will make the election of 2024 an honest election. It will eliminate the problem of ballot fraud, 
absentee ballots unsigned, drop boxes, all of this nonsense is going to go away. The United States will have honest elections because of Moore versus Harper. We'll talk about that after the break. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. The secret agent man comes out of hiding, identifies himself, and immediately is signed up by John Katsimatidis to appear on WABC Radio 77. Okay, I want to read you a little bit. This is Section 4 of the Constitution of the United States, uh, Article Article 4 uh, on elections. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof but the congress can change the laws uh, and make such regulations uh, as necessary except they can't change the place of the election so what this says very plainly is that the state legislatures, subject only to changes made by the United States Congress, can determine the places, times, and manners of elections for Congress or Senator. You know what words don't appear in this? Governor, Secretary of State, election officials, state government, or even state courts do not have this power. The state legislature has the power, subject only to a law passed by the U.S. Congress. So this has been disregarded for 50 years that it's been litigated. And the liberal courts have held, well, state legislatures really mean state government, and uh, the state constitution applies. If the state constitution gives the power to the governor and to the secretary of state and everybody else, so be it. Forget section four of the Constitution. It's the legislature that has the power because the state Supreme Court gives them that power. Now the U.S. Supreme Court has a case before it which says forget what the state courts say, forget what the state Constitution says. These are federal offices. They can control who votes in manner, time, and place of choosing of state offices, governors, state representatives, state courts, mayors. They got all that. But when it comes to choosing congressmen, senators, and therefore the president, Mm. you cannot be governed by the state constitution. You have to be governed by the federal constitution. Interesting. Got it now. Now, of course, all the southern states during the civil rights era banned blacks from voting. And the court said, we don't care what the state court says or the state constitution says. We're overriding it because the 15th Amendment gives blacks the right to vote and we're going to give them the right to vote. Whatever the hell the state court and the state constitution and the state governor says. So this is essentially the same principle. It's saying that the constitution is very clear 
that it's only the legislature that has this power. And we don't care what the state constitution says. This is a federal election. Mm -hmm. Butt out, get out of the way, and let the legislature do the job constitutionally assigned to it. Now, the backdrop of all this is that in the last 10 or 15 years, the Democratic Party hasn't given a damn about state legislative elections. They haven't put any money behind it. They haven't sponsored candidates. In some states like New York, they do because it's a matter of survival. The assemblymen, senators might as well have life sentences in that body because they they always get reelected and they gerrymander the maps and all that. But the national party focused no attention on state legislative races. And as a result, you have 30 states in the U.S. where both houses and the governor are Republican, and you have about 10 other states where both houses are Republican, uh, seven states, but the governor is a Democrat. So you have about 35 states, uh, three-quarters of them, where the Republicans run the legislature. So the Democrats are desperate to stop Section 4, the one I just read you, from being interpreted correctly and literally. How could they do that? Well, they can't. They can't. Uh, they, they went to their state court in North Carolina, is the case, Moore versus Harper. They went to the, the legislature passed a reapportionment map giving the advantage to the Republicans. Then the Democrats challenge it in court, and the state court is controlled by Democrats. This is all partisan now. Mm-hmm. Forget, forget judicial impartiality. And uh, the state court voted Democrats against the Republicans to approve the Democratic map. Then the Republicans sued. But they said not that the map is unfair and not that it violates one man, one vote or anything like that. They didn't say any of that. They said the act of the court in bypassing the legislature was illegal, was federally unconstitutional. The court said, hey, it says in the state constitution that we have this power and we're exercising it. And now the Republican sued and saying, forget what the constitution says at the state level. The federal constitution gives this power to the state legislature. What exact power? What exact power? The power to set the times, places, and manner of holding elections. Got it. Which includes everything, the district lines, who votes, where they vote, do they do it by mail, how do you authenticate the vote, how do you count the vote, uh-huh. okay. all that stuff mm-hmm. is to be chosen, to be decided by the state legislatures and uh, in federal elections. And now the left is screaming about this case, saying, oh, my God, it'll be an administrative nightmare. You'll have separate groups of voters who can participate in state elections and separate groups who can participate in federal elections. Just like in New York City, they voted the illegal aliens can vote in local elections. That's okay, though. can't do it in federal. That's, that's, okay. Okay. that's okay. But but so what? Do you hold them on different days or you do something like that? Right. But the point is that the conservatives have maintained for decades that this provision has to be read literally, and the courts have never agreed with it. Now there's a conservative 6-3 to three majority on the Supreme Court. And when we say conservative, it's sort of shorthand for strict constructionists, people who say the Constitution is a written document and you got to follow what it says. Word for word. And the left 
says, no, you have to interpret it in light of events and basically give us the power to rewrite the Constitution, like they did when they found the right to privacy in the Constitution. The word privacy appears nowhere in the Constitution, nor any synonym, but they found it in the in the abortion Roe v. Wade case. So now this issue is, go, is litigating and going up to the Supreme Court. They have just accepted certiorari for the case, which means that four of the nine judges at a minimum said, we want to hear this case. We want to make this decision, uh, which probably means a majority are going to side with them because it's the conservatives in the court who are doing that. And this will totally change where the decisions are made about all of this. Now, in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and in Wisconsin and in North Carolina, the state legislatures have passed election reform laws that are perfect. No drop boxes, uh, no unauthenticated ballots, signature verification, photo identification, um, in-person voting unless you have an excuse. All that stuff is in the bill. And they passed it, and the governor vetoed it. So at the moment, that veto is is controlling, and these elections in 22 will be held under the old rules uh, because the governor vetoed the reform. But if Moore v. Halper, Moore v. Harper, wins, if the plaintiffs win that case and the conservatives win it, North Carolina and no state will be able to do that. Uh, All the rules will be made by the legislature. Mm -hmm. So when the legislature passes a bill saying no drop boxes, no signature verification, photo identification, no no excuse absentee voting, uh, no ballots cast after election day, all the results announced on election day, you know, the whole panoply of reforms. It doesn't even go to the governor. Governor has nothing to do with it. Can't veto it. Can't veto it. Uh, Michigan Governor Whitmer has to sit there and clench your teeth <laughs> while the legislature jams it down her throat. But you, And you're also you're saying that it won't go to the Supreme Court before November, so... But it'll go in right after. Right. They'll make this decision before probably uh, probably in the fall term. Right. Maybe not in the fall term. I think they'll probably make it in the spring term. But one way or another, this will be adjudicated well before the 24 elections. Right. So this means there will not be ballot fraud. Now, obviously, when the court rules, what they can try to do is the secretaries of state will knowingly violate the law and try to jimmy the process anyway, and then the Republicans have to get an injunction and and all of that. But that'll proceed. That'll work. And uh, I want to quote um, a philosopher named Empiricus, uh, Emeritus Empiricus, who wrote in the 3rd century A.D., the mills of the gods grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. Hmm. Now, we all raised hell with the Supreme Court, particularly with the conservative majority, when they refused to intervene in the 2020 election. And I said, and many of us said, for God's sakes, you're here to enforce the Constitution. What is a more important duty than being sure that the guy who should have been elected president got elected president mm-hmm. and the election couldn't be stolen? What are you waiting for? When are you going to use those votes? 
and I believe that their acceptance of cert in the Moore case <clears throat> makes clear what their reasoning was in retrospect. They decided, I believe, look, we are not going to make this ruling in the context of the 2020 election. Everybody's hot and bothered. The country's all destroyed, torn apart over this. And uh, it's a far too important case to adjudicate within the concept context of this particular election. It changes the whole electoral system in the country. And besides that, three of us were just appointed as judges. There's a big controversy about one of us, Barrett, being appointed right before the election. And we're not going to go into the teeth of that and make this change. So we're going we're gonna to grit our teeth and accept the election results. We're not going to overturn them. But as soon as we get a case that permits us to change this, without the world falling apart, we're going to seize it, we're going to do it. And that's exactly what they're doing now in the Moore v. Harper case. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. The Supreme Court was the most traumatic event in the Supreme Court's modern history was 2000 when they intervened in the Bush v. Gore election. Mm -hmm. And it was a partisan decision. The Republicans won, but they won because there were more Republicans on the bench than Democrats. Only Chad thing and all that. Yeah. Uh Only two justices were courageous enough to vote against their party line. Uh, John Paul Stevens, the Republican judge, voted with the Democrats, and Breyer, who just left, just retiring, was a Democrat who voted with the Republicans. But other than that, the 72 decision that awarded the presidency to Gore, to Bush as opposed to Gore, was along straight party lines. And that was a disgrace. That was an unbelievable knock on the Supreme Court. And the books that have been written by Bob Woodward and others reflect that the judges really got that message and they really felt that they had demeaned the court and potentially impaired or even destroyed its credibility for the future. And they were determined to restore it. And as a result, the judges in the last 24 years have had a a lot of restraint in the way they've handled these cases because they don't want to go over the edge and have the Supreme Court lose its power and lose its authority. And uh, that's why I think they didn't intervene in the 2020 election. But how did they know that somebody might take up that case? I know we asked you well, this they yesterday. Knew they knew it because they, they they knew the Democrats would overreach. They knew the Republicans would sue. I'm sure they all knew that. It's an inside thing. And they said, well, just wait till the case comes up. It's going to come up. It's sure to come up. And uh, And they did that. Remember something. There's nothing in the Constitution that gives the Supreme Court the power to overthrow acts of Congress. Nothing. This is entirely a precedent set by Judge Marshall, Justice Marshall. Uh, He ruled that the Constitution gave the court this authority, but the Constitution no way gives the court that authority. So what the Supreme Court gave, the court could take away. So that was his interpretation, basically. And since then, it's been a bedrock principle of our democracy. And should have been in the Constitution, but the court has been very loath to overstep its boundaries here and to uh, charge into the teeth of a partisan controversy like they did in 2000. 
And in retrospect, I think a lot of the judges regret having done that. And now in Moore v. Harper, uh, they're doing it the right way. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. You know, we owe Donald Trump so much. And when people talk about, isn't it, can't we have a kinder and gentler Trump? Uh, The message is fine. What he's done is fine. But couldn't we have someone kinder and gentler to deliver it? I was talking with Doug last night. You wouldn't ask Patton. Yeah. He said, we were talking about, and he said, would you you ask for a kinder, gentler General George Patton. Absolutely. <laughs> Would you trust him to smash through the Wehrmacht and <laughs> end World War II right? and cross the Rhine with his tanks being kinder and gentler? And uh, it's kind of like that with Donald Trump. Really? It's Donald Trump, as he is, not kinder and gentler, who got the big, the most important tax cut in our history because it basically set the middle class ahead of the rich people when it came to cutting taxes and put $1,000 extra in our pockets each week in, in after-tax, after-inflation income. Week? week. Wow. $100 a week. Uh, it's Donald Trump who st- sealed the border and stopped illegal immigration. It's Donald Trump who set the standards for fair trade with China and called them out for under for overvaluing their currency so as to cheat our workers. It's Donald Trump who renegotiated NAFTA uh, so that it protected American workers, guaranteed right. higher wages, and stopped China from shipping goods through Canada to the United States to avoid tariffs. It's Donald Trump who invented the damn vaccine that saved all of our lives right. from COVID and developed that vaccine at warp speed. Gave a facility was, to the to the yeah, guys. Yeah, did everything. The, it literally built a factory. Right. Vaccine and flew over the parts from around the world. Amazing. So we'd have the shot sooner. It's Donald Trump who uh, reinforced our police and stopped the calls to disempower them. It's Donald Trump who stood up to Putin and stopped the invasions of Eastern Europe. It's... Donald Trump, who uh, intimidated China and made them back off the threats to invade Taiwan. It's Donald Trump who eliminated ISIS, ISIS entirely. That alone is a legacy. And that ju- right just there. The story there, just very briefly, is the big reason ISIS couldn't be eliminated is that their source of revenue were the oil wells that they conquered. So the military said, okay, let's bomb the oil wells. 
and the environmentalists who controlled government at that point said, oh, no, you can't bomb the oil wells at the Obama administration. That'll cause global warming. It'll cause particulate emissions up the wazoo, and it could be harmful to the climate change issue. When Trump got into office, he said, the hell with that. Hold my my Coca-Cola. Bomb the hell out of them, and they did. ISIS had no no revenue, and it folded. It was amazing. So it is Donald Trump who did all of that. Too, right? Donald right down the line. This is all in your book. Yeah, well, that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. Uh, we would get the the there was the seven year itch, you know, <laughs> going on. The Republican voters, well, six years after Trump, like the inning, the seven yeah, inning, a year a year <laughs> earlier, the seven year itch. They yeah. were saying, "Well, uh-huh. I know Donald Trump. I've been with him for a long time. I voted for him twice, but you know, what about this DeSantis guy? He looks yeah. pretty good. And I like him. But- how about?" These other guys, they they look pretty good too. Uh, can we find someone kinder and gentler than Donald Trump? Yeah, sure. And they began having a roving eye. And I wanted to remind everyone that it has been Donald Trump who did all of these things down the line. And that's why I wrote my new book called The Return, Trump's Comeback Win in 2024. Great book. And I make basically three points as to why we must have Trump as the nominee. Number one, he's the only one who can credibly say, I solved every problem we have before it happened. And now that it's happened, I'm the one that can solve it. There was no inflation when I was president. Now there's big inflation. I can stop the inflation. The gas prices were under three bucks. Now they're at five bucks. I can lower the gas prices. Illegal immigrants weren't coming into the country. Now they're flooding in. I can stop that from happening. Putin behaved himself and kept his troops at home. Now he's invading Ukraine. I can stop him. China was ripping off our workers with, uh, with, with unfair trade practices. I stopped it with tariffs on China. Now they've repealed the tariffs and China's back at it. I can stop that from happening. I can take each of these issues, and Donald Trump did that already. So those four words, I did it already are crucial here, and only one candidate can say that. DeSantis can't. How do we know DeSantis is going to lower inflation? Right. He's no, a great guy. I love the guy. He's still. been a good governor, and I would support him, I guess, we since 28. Trump but Yeah, but how do we know he's going to do it? That's how right. do we know he's going to be able to hold down gas prices? How do we know he'll be able to um, do any of the uh, face down Putin? Uh, we don't know any of that. And there's a chance he will, there's a chance he won't, but that's going to be a debatable issue in the election. With Trump, it's not debatable. Right. It's absolutely clear because you just need to look at the history of what went on. The second thing is that Trump identified high school educated voters. 36% of the electorate have not been to college and were totally disregarded in our politics. They called them flyover country. Mm. Uh, and uh, Hillary called them deplorables. Oh, deplorables. Obama said they cling to their guns and Bibles 
and act out against people who don't look like them, engage in anti-immigrant, anti-trade sentiment to vent their frustrations. And Donald Trump said, no, these are Americans who are justifiably outraged at losing their jobs to tons of immigrants coming in who are willing to work for nothing. Uh, they're, they're factory owners and businessmen who are being put out of business and the workers who are being laid off because of unfair trade competition. And I'm going to stop this from happening. And I'm going to stand up for these folks and I'm going to speak on their behalf. And nobody else has ever done that. And he addressed them in a language that was blunt and clear and plain spoken, no BS, no sugarcoating, no palliatives, no euphemisms. Right. He laid it on the line, said it like it was, and no other politician does that. And if somebody else does it, it'll be like learning a foreign language for them. Right. And the third thing is that he understood the dynamics of the Hispanic and Latino vote in the United States. He got it that immigration was in their distant past. Uh, they, they are their ancestors immigrated here decades ago. They're citizens. They were born here or they came here legally and were naturalized legally and vote legally. And to tell, try to win their votes over immigration, saying we can allow other people to come in illegally and cheat and potentially take your jobs, uh, is not particularly attractive to them. <laughs> their concern is to be sure that America keeps the promise it made to them to be free and to be a land of opportunity, freedom and opportunity. That's what we promised them, and they're redeeming that promise. And they see it slipping away. You know, these folks have been through Cuba. They've been in Dominican Republic. They've been in El Salvador. They've been in Mexico. They've been in Nicaragua. They've been in Venezuela. They're now going through it in Colombia, unfortunately, Chile, Peru. They're seeing that a country descends into total dysfunction. The criminals take over. The drug dealers run the show. Corruption is the order of the day. And the opportunity and the freedom completely slip away gradually and then at an accelerated pace. And they're damned if they're going to let that happen right. in the United States. And Donald Trump is the guy that put it on the line and made them understand that and made them understand the stakes. And that's why he's changed the base of Latino voters from being the base of the Democratic Party to being the base of the Republican Party. And, and you know, Dick, in your book, you simplify it so beautifully to understand all of this. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Could somebody else do it? I could even understand it. <laughs> could somebody else do it? Maybe. Well, you, you, you get the audio version. Right? Yeah. <laughs> could somebody else do it? Who knows? But he but, but did Donald it. Trump can, and he did. did. He did it. So, see you next week, guys. Right, secret agent, man. You got the Dakota ring? This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.